Well, good morning and welcome to our service here at the Vineyard in Cambridge. Uh, for those who are watching online, whatever day it may be, uh, we want to welcome you to our service and we thank you that you are joining with us as we celebrate Jesus, as we celebrate who he is. We are his followers and it's a privilege to be able to come together. This morning when we were praying before service, uh, Chris, you, you prayed a prayer and I thought, oh dude, that's a <clears throat> dangerous prayer to pray. Break our hearts with the things that break yours. Um, we say those words easy, but uh, that's one of those prayers that aligns perfectly with God's heart, <laughs> which means God will tend to answer that prayer, and um, it can be it can be a challenge. Uh, okay, so let's let's jump in here. Let me pray first. Um, Father, Lord, we. We have been praying this morning, and you know, even as we've been mingling and talking, it's been a, the whole thing has been about, Lord, that your your words, while we hear them all the time, that they would, we don't need something new. We need Holy Spirit for you to enlighten our hearts, and so, Lord, we just posture ourselves before you to hear, to hear, to consider what it is you're saying to us, to the church, to the world. Thank you for the good news, because it surely is good news. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us. And so, Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. Um, blind spots. When I was learning to drive a car, that was one of the first things that was drilled home to me was blind spots. Be aware of your blind spots. <laughs> um, check over your shoulder, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I passed the test and all that stuff. But it doesn't really uh, hit home until one time you're driving and you're going to change lanes and you just assume <laughs> it's clear. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you assume it's clear and you go to shift and it's just like, ah, never saw that person there. And it's just a, your heart rate goes up just a bit and you just imagine you got this thing in your head, oh, imagine if I had hit that person, oh my gosh. And then you realize the importance of why you need to be aware of your blind spots. And the reality is, in our life, we have blind spots that we are sometimes not paying attention to. And for myself, I have blind spots when it comes to people who I think, I think, because you've heard me mention that there's this automatic response in me that I can be walking, you know, in the mall or something like that anywhere, right? And I can, by the way the person looks or acts or talks or whatever, categorize, put people in different categories, right? I think they're different. And I have blind spots when it comes to that in different number of ways, difference in opinions. You've seen that in the last year or so, <laughs> opinions flying on social, well, you always see on social media. Uh, but it could be religion or faith or gender or race or skin color, right? All those things that we think are different. And we have these assumptions that we carry along with us. And... One of my assumptions was, and is, still at times I got to like remind myself, is I assume that how I see others is accurate. Obviously, if that's the way I see it, it must be right. <laughs> and it's like it's embedded in there, and I have to, I have to sort of like train myself. No, don't, 
you don't see necessarily everything accurately. And the beauty about getting older is that you experience life and things begin to change. (laughs) And that's a good thing. And they began to change for me when I had opportunities to actually listen to others and listen to their stories. Because when you start to listen to people, you start to be able to you understand where they're coming from. You understand why they are the way they are. And, and empathy comes out, you know, begin to empathize with them. And what I discovered as I listened to people time and time and time and time again was, gosh, they're just like me. They're real people. They got real families. They got real dreams, real hopes. They have, they have the same basic needs that, that I do. They're just like me. They're no different, right? And it was sort of like an aha thing for me, but at the same time, it shouldn't have been, right? So I now pray, and I've done this for many years now, several times a week, but I now pray a prayer. It's called the Prayer of Peace of St. Francis or something like that. And one of the lines is, O Divine Master, may I not so much seek to be understood as to understand. And that's meaningful for me because it reminds me over and over again, listen before you open your mouth. Listen. Just listen to people. Just listen. And I've learned too, and it's still hard, but listen without figuring out what your response is going to be. Just listen, right? Just listen. And for the past 10 years now, I have been trying to understand the pain of others and what they live with day in and day out. Because as I get older, I realize I don't understand everybody's story the way I should. And what I've learned with some people, what you hear, what you begin to hear, especially people who deal with pain, and I'm not talking physical pain, emotional pain, social pain, all of their life, they've, they've walked in this place where all of their life, it's only because of someone or society somewhere told them that they were different and not welcome or not acceptable. And what they were experiencing was an act of Injustice, and those, and I want to listen. I want to hear those people because I don't get it. I do experience life from a privileged position. I know we've heard this over and over again, but don't you got to hear me out here because I believe God wants to say God's saying something to me, so He must be saying something to you as well. (laughs) You know what I mean? The opposite of injustice is justice or doing the right thing. And last week, we looked at one sentence in the book of Micah. Micah was a prophet in Judah. And it was near the end of Micah where the people of Judah recognized they have been unfaithful to God. They haven't followed God's ways and God's word. And they go, well, so what do you want, God? What do you want from us? What do you, you want us to sacrifice everything? Do you want to sacrifice our kid? Like, what is, what is it you want? And God says to them, these words that's recorded in Micah 6, 8, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. In other versions, it says justice, do justice. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
Lately, I've been reading a number of books, watching different documentaries that deal with the issues of injustice in North America, but even precisely in Canada, that takes place. Because I want to learn what's going on. I want to learn. I want to understand. And it has been some of the hardest reading for me. It has been challenging and convicting because what the writers have done is they have taken me, they take the reader into their world, right, and into their minds. And here's the thing that's been so challenging for me, challenging and hard, but they've all made one point really, really clear that when it comes to injustices, simply understanding and feeling sorry for the person who's going through an injustice is being, their words, complicit to the injustice. When that's all you do, when you're silent towards it. Now that's heavy because the word that is a cousin of complicit is accomplice. And we know what that means when you're an accomplice to a crime, right? It means you're part of that that's taken place. And I found it harsh. I found that was a heavy accusation, but justifiably so. And my immediate response, because what I noticed, and here's the thing too, here's a good tip for you. When something occurs, pay attention to how you respond and ask yourself and ask God, why do I respond this way? What is that all about? Because my immediate response when I would read this at first was, I would defend, defend. It was defense. It was like, whoa, hold on a second. Who are you to say that to me? You don't know me, right? But then I realized what I was defending was my inactions. This is, this is reality. My inactions, but also defending that, well, I'm a peacekeeper right? But at the expense of others. And I prayed. I journaled. God, I don't like what I'm reading. (laughs) Help me to figure this out. Help me to understand, right? And what, what was that whole thing of being defensive? What was that all about? It was a blind spot. Things I'm not seeing that I need to see, that I need to look over my shoulder and take a look and take a hard read about, right? And and I I can stand here today and tell you guys this. I have been complicit in acts of injustice in my life. That's a fact. That's a fact. That's a hard, hard pill to swallow. That's looking at that shadow self of yours, right? Of myself. That wasn't an easy conclusion to come to. And I had a question for God. And my question for God was fairly simple. It was this. It was, God, do you see me as a person of justice? That was my question. Do you see me as that? But even when I asked that, I knew, had an inkling. I knew what the answer was. Right? What I sensed God say to me was, well... It depends on what the issue is for you, Scott. depends on what the issue is. Your heart is for justice, but sometimes you've been more concerned with the cost 
and what others may think than you are for the issue at hand. And if you think reading it is a hard pill to swallow, reading like from books, being complicit is a hard pill, to be in your prayer and your quiet time with the Father, in a sense, those words. Because what I like to do is when I pray, when I have my quiet time and pray and I journal on my computer, I like to also write, I'll put in italics, what I sense the Holy Spirit saying. And it's like God going, you can do that, but don't you dare pick and choose what, you're going to, what words of mine you're going to put down. You put them all down. That was a deal we had a while ago, years ago. <laughs> so I had to put that down. Just look at it and just look and go, gosh, what do I do with this? Well, and God led me to a passage. It was to these words. It's found in Isaiah. By the way, this is what I discovered this morning during worship. So the words that God led me to in Isaiah, it clicked on me. See, Micah, we talked about Micah last week. Micah was a prophet in Judah. Well, so was Isaiah. And actually, Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. What was going on at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1 was, yes, same thing as with Micah, what God had spoken through Micah, the people have been unfaithful, the people haven't been doing what is right. And God says in Isaiah, you know what? You know your, you know your assemblies? Like, I'm not even, I, I don't even expect that from you. And furthermore, I don't even like your assemblies. I don't even like your sacrifices. Your offerings you make to me are nothing. I don't like your music. I don't like, I don't know if you said music, but I don't, I don't like what you do because the other thing you do, you sin against me. Basically what God was saying. Well, actually the words in Isaiah are a little harsher than that because prophets are a little harsher, right? It says, you're evil. <laughs> You're evil. But God led me to the passage of, and God says to them, turn from that, turn from that. Let's talk about this, right? And then in Isaiah 1:17, God says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. And God also said to me, don't pay attention to the specifics of that about, you know, orphans and widows. It's the actions I want you to pay attention to, Scott. Learn, seek, help, defend, fight. That's justice there. Now, before we go any further, I want to show you a video, short video clip. Because I'd like you to hear from other perspectives, okay? It breaks my heart to see Jesus used by the powerful as a club to beat the powerless into more submission. When the fact is that Jesus came uh, for the powerless to say that they have dignity in the kingdom of God and that the powerful, well, they'll be at the back of the line because they've not used their power in wise and good and loving ways. One of the quotes from Jesus has had the biggest effect on my life since I first became a follower of Jesus in my teenage years. So in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, he says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And if you do that, everything else you need will be taken care of. Now, the word righteousness 
is probably a bad translation because when people hear the word righteousness, they think religiosity, piety. But uh, the word actually is the word justice. And in other languages, you would quote this by saying, seek first God's kingdom and his justice. Justice is the right use of power. The kingdom of God is about recognizing God as the ultimate authority and power. So if we're concerned about the kingdom of God, we have to be concerned about justice. How are we using our power, our individual power as people with wealth, education, jobs, so many advantages. Uh, as people who vote in a democracy, how are we voting to use our power as a nation in the world? Uh, so this is the, the right or wrong use of power. Jesus constantly talked about power. He, for Jesus, power is exercised in servanthood. It's power is exercised in love. You know, uh, religion has been around a long time. And religious people are always doing basically the same things. They're arguing about each other for who has the best set of rules and the best set of doctrines. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's not part of that game at all. You know, there are groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're fighting with each other. The Zealots and the Herodians, they're fighting with each other. And Jesus doesn't come and just get on, work on the level of their fights. He moves things up to a higher level with this message of the kingdom of God. And so when people met Jesus, they could just tell his whole approach here is on a higher level than anybody else's. The place where I think we in the United States have to face this is it's very tempting for us to take the interests of God and the interests of the United States and treat them as if they're the same thing. What does it mean to be a citizen in the United States and to realize that God doesn't play favorites? And in fact, if God plays favorites, he plays favorites with the weak and the poor, not with the powerful and the rich and the well-armed. Uh, if, if we don't start facing that as Christians in the United States, uh, well, we could find ourselves playing on the wrong side. Maybe all of us are a lot more out of sync with what Jesus really wanted than we realize. Maybe we've made little turns along the way and we have no idea how far we are out of sync with what Jesus really wants. I think you can contrast the kingdom of God with every kingdom or regime or ideology of this world by saying worldly systems are, are unified by their love of power. The kingdom of God is about the power of love. That expression to do justice, I think we're going to just bounce off of what Brian McLaren said there in the video, but that expression to do justice is actually taken from the, the Hebrew word that means righteous. And Hebrew scholars say, understand that that Hebrew word, it is an action in the sense of it's causing something to happen. In other words, what they say, what, what they say that is actually saying to do justice is to declare one right is what you're doing. And if you remember a year ago when we were looking at Putty Putman's book, uh, Live Like Jesus, Putty talked about righteousness and said that the way to translate or to understand that is right in being. Same thing. 
what scholars say that justice is saying. When you do justice for someone, it is you're declaring them right. That's what justice is. It's extending righteousness to that person. That's what's going on. And it's exactly what God has done for for us, right? It's exactly the same thing, made us righteous. And God calls us to do likewise. God calls us to do the same thing. Check out Scripture, check out Old Testament, check out New Testament. It's the same thing God calls us to do in our lives as a church. You got to hear me. This is laced all through Scripture, all through Scripture. Look, if you want to go right to the central event that took place when Jesus hung on that cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, it's Jesus being our voice for us who have no voice. It's Jesus who became, who was the sacrifice for us who didn't have a sacrifice to bring. We couldn't do anything. It was justice. It was Jesus' declaration of his infinite love for humanity. Doing justice, it was declaring you and me as right or as right in being. And it wasn't because of anything we did. We couldn't say, well, I qualify for being righteous. No, I don't. (laughs) I didn't right? It was justice when that man who was also condemned along with Jesus to be executed, hanging on the cross beside Jesus, did that Hail Mary pass at the end and just turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus goes, I'll do one better. Today, you will be with me in paradise. See, that man was just saying, can you just at least remember me that I existed? I existed as a person. Can you at least remember? And Jesus said, better, you're going to be with me. Jesus declared him right. Vineyard movement was birthed when we said yes to God's invitation to go and do likewise, to go to the marginalized of society, and you see that laced throughout every vineyard around the globe, this to go to where people have been pushed, where injustice occurs, and to step in there. We have embraced that. We have gone there. And God has called us to go out of our way to remove barriers so that it's easy to come to Jesus for people to come who, who otherwise would be told, no, you don't come, you can't come, right? And, and honestly, I'm thankful, I actually am, that we live in a city that the government leaders are at least willing to wrestle with the challenges we have in Cambridge, with, with our citizens, with some of our citizens who are experiencing homelessness or addictions or mental illness or whatever, anything that pushes people to the margins, at least our leaders are willing to at least wrestle with it rather than say, let's, let's just sweep this under the carpet. Because they are our citizens. You know, they are. And God has called us, Cambridge Vineyard, right, to do what is right 
And you just see it in how we care for the poor. You see that. But I want to drive this home a little bit more. Because I want you to, I want you to know what I hear God saying to us as a church. Justice is not limited to the poor. It's not. We are required to extend it to all who experience oppression, segregation, racism, sexism, you name it. We are required as people of God that we will extend that right in being to others. To anyone who has been made feel less than. Understanding and feeling sorry is step one, but that doesn't end there. Justice is going the f- full on to doing what is right. Doing. That was one of the things God spoke through Isaiah to the people to learn, yes, but then to help, defend, fight, fight. Fight, even if it comes at a great cost, be it financially. See, that's the thing we'd have to wrestle. Even if it comes at a cost financially or as a church, how big you want to grow as a church or that, or your reputation. Yeah, that's how far you you pay attention to Scripture. And it's fairly strong language, strong language. But it's God's heart. And that's the thing. God's heart bleeds with this of stepping in to end all injustice. It's God's heart. I'm going to read a passage, two verses. And it's not from the Gospels, but it it carries the heart and the essence of Jesus' message and his actions. And it's found in Leviticus. All places, Leviticus, really? Yeah, Leviticus. And I want you to hear. I want you to listen. Listen to the, to the intent, the spirit of these words. Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34. God speaking through Moses to the Israelites before they're going into the promised land is, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. What does that sound like? That's Jesus's two big commands to us that the law and the prophets all hang from, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, one. And number two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your body, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's right there. Jesus wasn't making this stuff up. It's the heart of who God is. And then it goes on to say, remember, and that's where we forget. That's where I get into trouble. That's where I hit my blind spots. That's where I wipe people out because I don't remember. I forget. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. It's God saying to me, Scott, remember you were once someone 
who felt less than. And I declared you righteous. I declared you right in being. And I extended my righteousness to you. I am the Lord your God. That's not a, if that's not a powerful passage, nothing is. Nothing at all, right? We have people in our city and probably in our churches, I have no doubt, who are reminded daily, either verbally or systemically. And systemic is meaning, if you want to speak of racism, but all these forms of injustice, it's embedded in our system, the way we think and behave as a culture, as a society, right? It's just, it's, it's in there. That's what systemic means. But there's people who are reminded either verbally or systemically every day, day in, day out in this city, that they are wrong in being. And justice goes, no, we're going to stand. We're going to stand. And we're going to be your, your voice. That action of standing in that place, when I do that, saying to that person, no, I know you've been told you're wrong in being. We're saying, God's saying, you're right in being. That's what God's saying. Now, we'll also say that justice is also judgment. The second you step in to defend somebody, to speak for them, to be their voice, you've also at the same time spoken to other people. Someone else who's causing the oppression or the segregation or the racism or sexism or whatever it is, that you're wrong. What you're saying to that person, they're not wrong in being. Stop. That's the gospel. We, we struggle with that. And I got to figure out, why do I struggle with this, God? Because you, you know what I struggle with? You know what it is I'm struggling with? What I, and I, not so much anymore. <laughs> you know what it is I struggle with? You're just too generous with your love. But I forget, I forget. When I forget, I got to go back again all the time to when I was 18 and God met me in a phone booth on Brown's Line in Toronto. And that's when I had told God, I don't care about you or I don't care about any of this because I don't believe any of it. And I was feeling so lonely and God said, I know, I'm here with you in this phone booth. As God's people who have been the recipients of God's justice to us and declared that we are writing being, we are required. I want you to hear that. We are required. I'm required to extend the same to those who are suffering from any injustices and to declare them that they are in fact right in being. Why? Because we are the voice. We are the voice. We are the voice. We think God should do it. God does do it through us. Through us. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. We are that voice. We have to be that voice. We have to be. We have to be that voice. So we're not going to shy, from shy away from talking about this stuff, guys. We're not. We're not going to get comfortable with it. We are. We just are. As I said, was it last week I said? I think it was. The people that come to Urban Hope, that come here, that's, that's God's gift to us. It's God's gift. That's all I got to say on this. <laughs> I asked God, I said, what about the whole thing? Shouldn't I be like, we want to encourage people. We want to make people feel good when they leave here. Well, they will feel good. 
Because the fact of the matter is, God has extended right and being to each and every one of you. God has said, you're right in being. You're right in being. What, what breaks God's heart? You want to know what breaks God's heart? When someone, someone who's made in God's image, is made to feel they are less than. That breaks God's heart. But that's what sin does, right? Sin breaks God's heart. That's why it breaks God's heart. Because people feel less than. People become victims. It's just not right. And yet we have the privilege to join God in this. And you know what? The church, down through history, has been amazing how it's stepped in. You look through the history books of the church and how they've stepped in, stepped in and been the voice for people who had no voice. Absolutely amazing. Hey, you know what? I'm learning the easy part of repentance is feeling sorry. (laughs) The hard part of repentance is turning the other way and going the opposite direction. That's the hard part of repentance. And God wants us to do both. Feel sorry, remorse. But God also says, well, it's easy, Scott. Just turn (laughs) and go the other way. That's all you have to do. That's following Jesus. And who wouldn't want to do that? So let's pray. Father, Lord, we we don't take this word lightly. This is something we got to think about. And Lord, I got blind spots, and I'm trying to wrestle with them, Lord. I'm trying to get into the habit that I'm looking over my shoulder, looking over my shoulder, checking my mirrors, watching my camera, whatever the words we want to use. Because, God, we don't want to see any human being be treated as less than. Not one. And so, Father, we just ask you, would you please help us? Would you please help us? Lord, would you come? Father, I, me, I repent. I know that I've... I've been complicit, and I repent. I continue to repent. And Lord, the other part of repentance has been really a challenge for me. But God, I'm asking you, you come. Would you come and help us? Lord, I'm like that man who said, Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And God, we say, we stand before you saying, God, we do believe. Help our unbelief, please. Please help us. And we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your extending righteousness to us. We thank you, God, that it's all you, not us, not us. So thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless you guys.